You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. All right, so welcome back. My name is Tommy Jones. I'm the pastor here. Uh, let's do something fun. We've heard from Joanna. We've heard from, uh, let, let's all look at each other real quick. I want you to speak to one another here. And what you're going to say is smile and say, I'm glad you're here. Say it to somebody. Go ahead. Yeah, that's good. That's good. This is going well. All right, all right, all right. All right. Now, now here's what I want you to do. With the same smiling expression, I want you to turn to someone and say, I wish you would leave. One of y'all's like, finally, that person's in my seat. All right. Okay, let's not say that second one. But here, here's, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see this. All right, all right, Misty. If I say to, if I say to Misty, Misty, uh, man, I am so glad you're here. And I say that smiling, that has meaning to her. But if I look at her and say, I certainly wish you would leave, but I'm still smiling, that's painful. It's like if you tell somebody, I, I love you, and you're smiling, and then you tell them, I hate you, and you're still smiling. It almost hurts more to tell someone you hate them with a smile, doesn't it? I hate you so much. <laughs> right? So the, the words that you say are often more important than the expression on your face. And why is that? It's because words have power. That's what we've been talking about. Remember the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Poppycock. We've all agreed. That is not truth. That is a nonsensical statement because words can hurt. As a matter of fact, I'm willing to bet if we could all go back over our lives, there are moments when a word was spoken to us, maybe by a loved one, maybe by a parent, and it has created a wound in us that still hasn't healed because words have power. Or maybe there was a word that brought great joy to your life, and you can, maybe it was your, your child's first words or something like that, but there was a word spoken to you that has brought you great joy. Words can change your moment. Words can change your mind. Words can change your day. And we believe that certain words have changed your world. And so that's where we're at in this series, in this place. And, and listen, whether you're a Jesus person or not, we all know there was a historical Jesus, like you don't have to read the Bible to know that. There was a historical person named Jesus. And we believe, those who have given their lives to Christ, we believe that this Jesus was the very word of God, that he was the divine word of God, that he was God in a body. And he took on flesh and he came and he dwelt among us. And he was brought into this world the same way you and I were. He was born of a woman, only there was a little difference in his birth because the woman who brought him into the world was a virgin. And he didn't have a dad. So other than that, exactly the same, right? And not only was he brought into the world sort of like me and you, but he experienced life like me and you, only there was another kind of little thing. He didn't sin. He never sinned. Raise your hand if you're sinless. Because if you are, you are in the wrong church and you will become very disappointed here. It's not a great place for sinless people. And so we've all sinned in some ways, but listen to what Hebrews, this is Paul in Hebrews 4 says, and this is really good. Hebrews 4.14, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For if we do not have a high priest who is unable, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He understands our temptation, but he never sinned. 
Whatever situation you're going through, he understands it. He gets pain. He understands frustration. He understands temptation. He understands you. Our high priest empathizes with you. But because he was able to live a sinless life, he was able to become the perfect sacrifice. And so what history says is is that Jesus Christ was eventually uh, arrested and he was put on a cross. And while he was on that cross, this is how the Romans dealt with criminals, by the way. They crucified them. This was a, a common form of death penalty in the Roman government at that time. So they put Jesus on a cross between two criminals and they crucified him there. And he would eventually die on the cross through suffocation. That's how you died. It wasn't the instant death. It was, a, it was a slow death where you eventually suffocated on your own blood. And so Jesus is hanging there, and he's suffocating, and he's dying, and he's doing it because we believe that he was the perfect sacrifice for sin, the spotless lamb of God. And as he's dying, he speaks some words. He's able to get his breath, and he speaks some words. And this is where we've been camped out, these words Jesus spoke. And last week we said he was able to, to look at the crowd and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then after that, he he looked at the criminal who was beside him and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. And we had a lot of energy last week around that. And so those were two of the first statements Jesus made from the cross. Does anyone want to throw out a guess at how many total comments Jesus makes from the cross? But hold on, before you guess, guess the most Bible-y number you can possibly think of. Seven. Wow, that's amazing. He makes seven comments. Of course he does. Seven comments from the cross. And so last week we saw the first two, and this week we're going to the next two. And in Matthew 27, 46, it says this. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lami sabatani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's been hanging there for a while, right? At noon, darkness falls over the land. It's like an eclipse happens. It lasts for about three hours. So Jesus has been hanging there for a while, right? Then this isn't five minutes. He's been hanging there for a while. And at some point during this, as he's suffocating, he's able to catch his breath and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think of all the words ever spoken in the whole world, of all the words written that we've ever seen, I think these words probably have one of the greatest impacts on our lives. These words carry anguish beyond anything we can ever possibly Imagine. And if you want to measure Jesus' love for you, if you want to measure the height of his love, you have to look at the depth of what he was willing to suffer. And if you look at the depth of what he was willing to suffer, the height of his love should blow your mind. The king of the world loves you. And I think we, um, the, the Bible verse we read a minute ago said, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with us. And so I think we, we, we kind of can wrap our heads around sometimes that Jesus can empathize with us. But can we take just a minute and empathize with Jesus, with what he's experiencing here. He, he is, he's been connected to God forever. He is God. He's one with God. And in this moment, he, he's, he's cut off from the Father. He's forsaken by his greatest love. And it's easy for us to just say, oh, well, this is a far-off thing in a far-off place and like an imaginary tale. This is a real human on a real cross who's really feeling abandoned. And can we at least try to empathize with that? Have any of you ever had your heart broken by someone you loved? Have you ever lost someone you deeply loved? Have you ever been abandoned by somebody? Have have you ever made the mistake, and most of us make this at some point in our life, of making some person your God? Of making some person, you just said this, of making some person your idol? 
And then when that person turns their back on you, it's as if all your world just got sucked out of the room. We get this, guys. Empathize with Jesus. I was talking to a young man this last week, and uh, he's, his, his girlfriend and him broke up, and this was his first real love. And do y'all remember that feeling? It's as if everything has disappeared, isn't it? You can't breathe. You can't eat. You can't think. You don't know what to do. It's the absence of hope. It's the absence of joy. It's the absence of peace. And so in this moment, what Jesus is experiencing is the absence of everything. He's been abandoned by one he loved. He's been forsaken by one he loved. And not only has he been abandoned and forsaken, he's been abandoned and forsaken by the one who should never leave their children. He's been left by his father. Some of you get this. Some of you have a daddy wound and it hurts. Some of you men, some, some, some of you women, you know what it, a father who wasn't there. In this moment, Jesus is experiencing the ultimate father wound. His dad can stop the pain. His dad can help him. His dad can save him in this moment. The presence of the father is gone. Guys, we can handle physical pain. Most of us can handle physical pain. This is on a whole different level. This is spiritual pain. This is an emotional pain. And you know that that's true because there are great physical pains that you will heal from. The emotional, spiritual wounds, many of us are still carrying, aren't we? This is a kind of pain that is so hard for us to forget. And what's happened is the father has separated himself from the son, taken his presence away. And and you think about this, think about it from God's perspective. Because God has withdrawn his presence doesn't mean he can't see what's going on. He's still all-knowing. So God sees his son in this moment, and he withdraws his presence. It's as if you could see your child suffering, and you, and, you, and you have the ability to reach your hand and pull them out of it, but you don't. Why would God do this? In Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So whether or not you believe in the literal Genesis narrative or not, I really don't care. What we see in the Bible is a theme that runs through, and that is sin separates us from God. And so when when sin happened, man was separated from God. When, when man decided that he would decide, man or woman, decided that they would decide what was right and wrong, that God would no longer be the holder of good and evil, that we would decide for ourselves what was good and evil, what happened was a break, a separation between us and God. God had to withdraw his presence from us. And so what Jesus is experiencing is the presence of God withdrawn from him because sin must be punished. God is love, guys, and this is the world loves this part of God. We love the loving God. And God is love, God is love, God is love. But you cannot separate God's love from his righteousness and his judgment. He is righteous. And he withdraws his presence as the penalty for sin. And y'all have to understand, this is not God's typical MO. This is not how God typically operates. God, God doesn't withdraw his presence from his people. Matter of fact, over and over, the Bible tells us that God is with us. And guys, I've seen videos of Christians executed. It's one of those things where I wish I hadn't watched it, but I did in my stupidity 
watched a video of, of an ISIS execution of a Christian where they were beheaded. And what I expected to see was someone screaming and hollering, and instead what I saw was complete peace. How many of you have ever been in the room when a Christian breathed their last breath? I have. And many times, you know what I see in that room? is not someone fighting death. It's someone embracing death. I see peace. I see peace. Because there is peace for those of us who belong to God. And in your darkest moment, God does not forsake you. He does not leave you. God never turns his back on his children. How many times have we heard this? God does not desert his children. And in this moment, God deserts his child. This is not what God typically does. Why? Sin demanded punishment. And God took all of our sin and placed it on Christ. Matter of fact, Second Corinthians says this in such a beautiful way. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling or bringing the world back to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Why is he not counting our sins against us? Because he counted our sins against Christ. And he was committed to us through the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, come back, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might experience the righteousness of God. You hear that? God made him who had no sin, Jesus, to be sin so that in him we might experience the righteousness of God. All of our sin, all of our sin. I know for me that's a pretty substantial bag placed on him. All your sin placed on him so that we might be the righteousness of God. Someone had to pay so that we wouldn't have to. Someone had to bear the pain so that we wouldn't have to. Someone had to be separated from the Father so that we wouldn't have to. And listen, I, I've said this, I'm going to say it for a while now. I understand that Christians have let you down. I understand that the church has hurt you in some way. I get that. I understand that maybe, maybe you have some sin and the church has elevated that sin above all sins. And so you felt not wanted and not loved. I get this. The church has hurt you. People have hurt you. But Jesus Christ gave his life for you. And you need to know that. He has not let you down. He has not betrayed you. He has not forsaken you. I know we've disappointed you. Blame me, not him. The king of the world has pursued you before the foundation of the earth was ever laid. And that's the truth. He loves you. And then Jesus makes this statement that just blows my mind. In John 19, 28, listen to this. Later, knowing that everything had now been accomplished and Scripture had now been fulfilled, it says, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Leave that one up there for me for a minute. If you, I am thirsty. Now, have I read that one before and just kind of thought, okay, he's thirsty. Skipped over it. I mean, it's easy to see little things like this and just keep going. Jesus, this is Jesus, the Christ, the king of the world. He's hanging on a cross and he says, I am thirsty. Now he's already said, Father, forgive them. He's already said, you're gonna be with me in paradise. He said, God, why have you forsaken me? And then he says, I am thirsty. Why is that so important? Jesus is the living water. 
He is the well that won't go dry. Have any of you guys seen The Chosen? Okay, there's a scene in The Chosen. I'm now asking people, have they seen The Chosen, not have they read the Bible? Because I believe more people have seen The Chosen than read the Bible. But like, you should probably read the Bible too, but The Chosen is still really cool. There's a scene, and y'all know this whether or not you've read the Bible or seen, there's a scene where the disciples are out in a storm and Peter and them are just having all these sorts of problems and they see Jesus coming out to them. Does anyone remember this? And Jesus is walking on something that's unusual. What is Jesus walking on? Water. He's walking on water. You know what that tells me is? He controls the water. He controls the wind and the waves. He controls the elements. And the one who controls water is thirsting. Why would you thirst? Just water. Just quench your thirst. You are the water. You are the well. As a matter of fact, in the beginning, when God wanted water, do you know what he said? Let there be water. Jesus was there. He has the power to say, let there be water. But he doesn't. He thirsts. And why would he thirst? And why would they want to make sure that you know that? Because we do not have a high priest who cannot empathize with our pain. When Jesus was separated from God because of sin, because of the arson that was placed on him, the emotion he felt was thirst. I long for something. I want for something that I cannot have. And those of us who have been separated from God because of our sin and our choices, and we know what it feels like to walk away from God, we thirst. And the message of this is you don't have to do that. There's a better way. And many of us, we only came to God after we tried everything else. Right? We tried everything. We tried everything to quench our thirst, and nothing would do it. And so in this moment, Jesus says, I thirst because he wants you to know he understands you. And then listen to this. This is crazy. John 19. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a sword and a sudden flow of blood, and what's this last word? A sudden flow of blood and water came from his wounds. Have any of you ever had a wound? Pricked your finger, anything like that? Did water come flowing out? No. This is unusual that water would come flowing from a wound, especially from someone who just said, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And then water comes flowing from his wound because he wants you to understand this thirst you have can only be quenched with the blood that flows from Christ. The, the living water, the water that comes from him is the water that quenches your thirst. And you can try everything else for the rest of your life. You can try to find happiness in money. You can try to find it in people. You can try to find it in jobs. You can try to find it in anything you want. And there is only one thing that will ever quench your thirst and that is the blood of Christ. And do you know how I know this? because I tried everything else. And so did you. That's why you're, this wasn't your first stop. Christianity isn't anyone's first choice. Right? You're like, hold on, I'm going to try a few other things, and then I'll get into this thing. We tried other things, and we still thirsted. It wasn't until we found the blood that flowed from that wound that we realized we'd found the solution for thirst. It's the blood of Christ the blood of Christ. And so what, what does this mean for those of you who belong to Jesus? Why is Jesus on that cross? He's on that cross because of your sin and my sin. So for those of us who belong to Christ, what it should mean is we should hate sin. God is not asking you to turn from sin. He's asking you to hate sin. 
And he, let's make this clear. He's not asking for you to hate their sin. He's asking for you to hate your sin. And if you want to carry around a sign that talks about sin, write your sin on that sign. Have a big sign that says, God hates whatever my sin is and walk around with it outside whatever building you live in. That's how we should boycott sin. God wants you to hate your sin, the sin that's separating you from God. And for those of us who belong to him, we should begin to hate the sin in our lives. We cannot settle with it. We cannot enjoy it. We cannot cohabitate with it. There must come a point where we hate the sin in our lives. And if you don't belong to Jesus, what do you take away from this? What you take away is this. The God of all creation loves you so incredibly much that he allowed himself to experience a pain that the world would never know so that you would never have to. If your life does not belong to Jesus, what you should know is this. You can spend the rest of your life searching for something that will fill you. And until you surrender your life to Christ, you will continue to be empty. And I don't tell you this as a pastor. I tell you this as one who's been where you are. I tell you who's one who's walked. I tell you as one who's searched. I tell you as one who spent a lot of his life really, really, really thirsty. There is a solution for that pain you feel. And until you give your life to Jesus, it will never change. And today needs to be the day. Today needs to be the day. If, if, if you know him and you know you've walked away, today needs to be the day you come back. Today needs to be the day. We're going to have communion in a minute and the altars are going to be open. Today needs to be the day you come home. Now is the time. Now is the time. And if you don't know him, today is the day you need to know him. Today is the day you need to give your life to him. The king of the world went through a great pain so that you wouldn't have to. The king of the world walked a great distance so that you would never be disconnected from the king. The king of the world loves you. And he's made a place for you in his family. And he's not asking you to get, get better first. Aren't y'all glad of that? He's not saying, no, don't, go heal all your sin and then come to me. Go change all your ways and then come. He's saying, come to me and you and I will work through the rest. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.